Thanks for tuning in to episode four of the Heads and Tails podcast with Mike Marsteller. If you haven't done so yet, give us a follow on Instagram at Heads and Tails. That's heads as in your head, the letter N, uh, and that followed by Tails, spelled T-A-L-E-S, like you're telling a story. And also subscribe on iTunes. This way you'll never miss an episode. Thanks, guys. Hope you enjoy this one. This is Kevin Som. You're listening to the Heads and Tails podcast. We share stories of perseverance and inspiration in sports and in life. This week on the Heads and Tails podcast, I'm interviewing Mike Marsteller. He's the founder of a nonprofit organization called HCM that helps patients and families impacted by cancer. And he's also a youth motivational speaker and travels to schools all over the country, inspiring and empowering teens to use their obstacles as opportunities. And... In addition to all that, he's also a four-time Ironman triathlete. Um, so without further ado, we'll, we'll get going. So what inspired you to start the nonprofit and then eventually become a motivational speaker, Mike? Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Kevin. I'm super excited to sit down with you and, <clears throat> and do this. Um, what inspired me to start the foundation? My, my dad passed away of cancer when I was one, and I grew up in a single parent home with my mom and and my brother and I was about nine or ten years old and that's when it really hit me you know that I lost my dad and so what was it that was going on that you're like that you were feeling bad for yourself that you didn't have a dad or like what what did you feel like you were lacking by not having your dad around right 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 um now my mom is like the most incredible person in my life. I just met her. She seems like it. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And for what she did for my brother and me, um, because she totally could have gone off the deep end, got into some bad stuff, um, but she really put our focus on us and and so important about family. Um, But the thing that was hard for me is growing up, no one talked about my dad. You know, he was... 30 years old when he passed away. Oh, wow. It's really young, yeah. Of colon cancer. Okay. Uh, it was six days after my first birthday when he died. Wow. <clears throat> my brother was five. And nobody talked about him because it was really hard, hard for, for them. them to do it, right? Right. And I've put a lot of thought into this, right? And I'm not upset or feel angry that nobody did. You know, I'm not thankful that my mom was able to move on and put her focus on us and not hung up on losing my dad. Um, but when, when I was nine or 10, right, that I started seeing all my friends have two parents and I just have one. And I started realizing up until that point, it was normal that nobody talked about my dad. Um, and when I, I remember going, I was in fourth grade, right? And I had this teacher, and we're in school the one day, and she says, I want all of you guys to go home and think about what you want to be when you grow up. And as a 10-year-old kid, that's like the best question in the world, right? right? Like, you, you want to do everything. Be anything. Yeah. An astronaut. Yeah. yeah, and my dad was on my mind a lot when I was 10, because I was seeing all this stuff, but it wasn't a negative thing. It was a positive thing. Right. But you probably, you didn't really, rem- do you remember your dad? No, 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 right. no. So, not at yeah, all. you were so young. Yeah. So what made you, like, what were you thinking about your dad about? Like through, uh, do you have memories like through pictures or A little stories bit, a little or? bit. But um, when she asked me that question, I went home 
and I was thinking about my dad and there were only a few things I knew about him, like his name and uh, my grandfather, he was a farmer. So my dad was a farmer. He liked to farm. So I thought to myself, man, when I grow up, like I want to be a farmer, right? right? Because that could be the one thing that I can do in my life. The connection. The connection, right? So I go into class the next day and she has us turn our desks into a circle so we're all facing each other. And it gets to me. And I'm, dude, Kevin, I'm like super pumped about this. This is like the most important thing in my world, right? And she says, Mike, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I want to be a farmer. And she says back to me, she goes, why would you want to be a farmer? That's like being a milkman. What? Your teacher said that? Yeah, dude. And it crushed me. It absolutely annihilated me. And I, I tell this story in schools, in, in assemblies. Right. Um, I don't fault her for saying that because she didn't know what I was going through, right? She didn't know your background story, She right? didn't know the background. And, you know, she was. sometimes we say things that we don't really understand in the moment. Um, but it devastated me. But to me. a nine-year-old, like... Yeah, no, no. But, dude, it, it, it made me feel embarrassed and ashamed. And it made me feel like nobody else talks about my dad. And here was an adult that I was reaching out to, and she just shut me down, too. Right. Um, so maybe I'm not going to talk about my dad. Uh, so it was that point in my life that uh, it started turning into a negative thing. And you can think, at, at 10 years old, you know, I had a dream of going to play in the NBA, right? Right. <laughs> like, that was still a possibility. Right, um, exactly. Yeah, yeah at 10 years old, alive, yeah, yeah, you could do anything. Um one of my dreams was I wanted to meet my dad and there was no chance of that happening. Yeah, it's tough. And that took me, dude, that took me until 25 years old to figure out. And so kind of coming back to the foundation, you know, that time between 10 years old and 25 years old, you know, I'm 33 now. Um, it was really difficult for me, but nobody knew it, right? Like I was still a good guy. I had a lot of friends. I played sports. Um, but there were times at night when I was like really struggling with it, that I wasn't going to get to know him. And I was about 24, 25 and I get a phone call from my brother. My brother's name is Matt. And he tells me that one of his friends has cancer. My brother's friend's name is Will, and he has a wife. And Were you two... friends with him, too? or No, no. You had no connection, right? I had no connection. Um, at the time, my brother was teaching at a police academy, and Will was one of his recruits in the group, and that's how he knew him. And, dude, this kid, Will, was like, nobody in his family went to college. He was the first one to, to really do something with my life, or with his life, and my brother was drawn to that, like, just this Dude wanted to be an awesome person. Right, he was getting after it, right? Yeah, an awesome Surrounding husband. Surrounding with someone who was, yeah, yeah. awesome father. And so my brother calls me, tells me about his friend. And at the time, like, I didn't have the foundation or anything. At the time, I thought, you know, this dude, he's going to be fine. Like, he's, Will was 26 years old. He's going to go get treatment and, and live an awesome life, right? And I'd talk with my brother maybe once a week, and I could just hear it that it was getting worse. And Will had, well, they didn't find it right away, but he had colon cancer. It was the same type of cancer my dad had. Um, And 
one day my brother calls me and dude, this phone call literally changed my life. Um, my brother calls me up and I pick up and I said, Matt, Hey Matt, what's up? And there was this like awkward silence. Did that, you know? Well, no, I didn't know. Right. And there was this, he didn't say anything. And I was like, dude, what's up? And he says, uh, he says, Mike, my, my buddy Will just died, man. And I could kind of hear him tearing up on the other end. And, you know, we said a few more things and we hung up. And, dude, it made me think so many things. It was night and day of me feeling bad for myself because I'm never going to know my dad to here are two more kids that are two years old and four years old. They're going to be the same situation that you were in. They're going to go down the same exact path that I already went down. And I feel like I made out okay. Right. Right. And it, it, it made me think. What, what were what was the things that worried you about? Like you knew what you went through. So what were you worried about for his kids? Oh, that's a good question. Nobody's ever asked me that. Um, I was worried of them feeling alone and embarrassed and, and ashamed. So why, why would you feel embarrassed about that? It's really something that you really don't have control over, right? Right. Well, I was worried for them, you know, to, to feel that way. Okay. Because maybe nobody would talk about him or... Right. Okay. Gotcha. You know, it's yeah. all circumstantial, mm-hmm. but yeah. I was, I was, I was so like drawn to wanting to be there for those kids because I know how it can be. And dude, the thing growing up when like I had some, some like really good best friends, right. And they were cool and I didn't really talk about them with it, but people, and we might get into this later. Um, when you're dealing with something that's really difficult, it's so important to find people who have gone through the same thing. Right. That's been a common theme for the people that I've interviewed so far is having a good support base when you go through these tough obstacles and like yeah. times of hardship um, to surround yourself with people who have been there and can kind of give you advice along the way. Yeah, because dude, nobody nobody gets it. Right. Like I've had people when I was younger say, dude, why don't you just get over it? Right. Like, get yeah. How can, yeah, who are you to tell me that? Exactly. <laughs> like, okay, you, like, all those memories that you have with your dad, like, get rid of that. Right. right? Like, like, don't tell me just to get over it. Yeah, and I can't I, even imagine. I guess yeah. a part of me was worried that that stuff would happen to these kids. Right. And then I was, I was also, when that happened with Will, I was worried, not worried, but um, I felt something for his wife. You know, because I knew how hard it was for my mom to 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 raise us, and my mom didn't have a super cushy job. Like my mom worked hard, right. dude. And I I don't know. I just I like wanted to call his wife and say, like it's it's gonna be okay. It's gonna be difficult. Um, and I want to help you. Like what what can I do to help? I don't care what it is. You tell me, and I'll go figure it out, and we'll do it. And there was about five months of me thinking constantly, like, what can I do? Like, I couldn't sleep, right? Yeah. Like, thinking 
like I do assemblies and I tell this story a little bit. But man, like sitting here thinking about it, um, I thought about it constantly. Like, man, I have something inside me. Right. All this experience and knowledge. And I need to figure out how to reach other people. Yeah, you're extremely passionate about yeah. you know, helping others. And the, the crazy thing is that at that point, still nobody talked about my dad, right? And it was a huge thing for me to to do this and to put myself out there. And I was really scared to some extent of doing that. And so I remember I, I went out to dinner with my mom. What were you scared about? Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. I <clears throat> Like fear of failure? Or? No, not at all. Just the fact that um, it, this is going to sound so weird. This is going to sound really weird. Um, at that point in my life, like even saying the word my dad or my father, like felt weird to me. Right. And I never talked about it. So now I, now I had to. And I had to figure out how to go through that. It was almost like a kind of almost like a grieving process, right? right? Just, yes. Yeah. yeah. And so I remember I went to dinner with my mom and I was like, Mom, I have this idea that I want to find people that are going through cancer or whatever and help them. But in order to do that, I, I have to connect with them, right? Like it has to be more. And in order to connect with them, I have to share my story and what we went through. And, you know, is that okay with you, right? And, you know, of course she said, yeah. And I said, well, I want to call it HCM Foundation. Now, HCM are my dad's initials. Okay. So that's where that comes from. I was going to ask you about that. Right. Yeah. And so I went on this journey of, um, and at the time I was racing a lot. I was doing triathlons and, and everything. We'll get into that later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um... It just, dude, it was just so overpowering of wanting to, to be there and, and help other people. And it took me five or six months to figure it out and, and find a few people that are like, yeah, that's a good idea. Um, I was dating a girl at the time. Uh, her name's Laura. And she was a nurse at Fox Chase Cancer Center. And I said, Laura, I don't, you know, I don't want to raise money and just donate it somewhere else. Yeah, or, blindly, right? Yeah. Like, I want to be in the trenches. I want to meet people. And I want people to be able to call me and have a conversation or whatever it is. And I said, but where do I find them, right? Like, how do I get out there? And she says, why don't you contact the social work department at Fox Chase? So I did. And I go into the office there. And I meet with a woman, Joanne, who, dude, like we've been doing the foundation for six years now. Joanne helped me so much, right? Um, so In she, what way? Just finding people or finding people creating and, the organization? And creating too, the or? organization, how it works, and, and how the whole process goes. And um, I remember going in there. I've raised no money, right? right. <laughs> I, it's like not even... Um, like it's an idea, right? right. <laughs> That's even... how everything starts though. Yeah, yeah. Even with this podcast, it all starts so, with an idea. Yeah. So I'm sitting, sitting in the chair and I said, you know, I have this idea, like I want to raise money and I want to help people. Like I want to help pay their bills or whatever things that they're struggling with so they can focus more on treatment 
and and living life on their own terms. And she's like, okay. <laughs> You're sweet, dude. <laughs> and uh, she's like, yeah, why, not, why don't you get back to us on that when you raise some money? <laughs> and and um, so I was like, all right. And uh, so we started raising money. And the way that we did that, you know, I was racing a lot. So I had a lot of good contacts in the running world and triathlon world. Um, so we had some people raise money for us, but then we also started directing our own races, some 5K runs, 10K runs. And so money started to come in. Right. And, and yeah, we started working with Fox Chase Cancer Center. And what will happen is when they have a patient that they think we can help, um, you know, they'll send me a form. And then I'll reach out to the patient or however it is. And we'll help up to $500, um, which... Dude, $500 doesn't sound like a lot, but we have been able to save patients from getting evicted from their wow. homes. Um, the other day, I got a referral for a patient, actually not Fox Chase. You know, Now we started working a lot, sometimes with Lehigh Valley Hospital. Okay. Uh, there was a guy who was being treated for cancer, but he, he couldn't get to all of his treatments because the tires on his car were completely bald. bald like, right. the dude didn't feel safe driving. And, yeah, you know, 500 bucks, you could buy this. Yeah, like, we're, we're willing to help with like, stuff like that. Yeah, that not way, yeah. Yeah. Um, because, number one, it helps him get the treatment, but number two, it decreases his stress levels, right? Like, right. he feels better. Yep. And that can help in the healing process too. Yeah. So like we'll do things like that. And I mean, I'm having, having conversations on the phone with this guy and he's like breaks into tears and, you know, is so thankful. Um, you know, yeah. So we've done, we've done a lot of crazy things and the, uh, <laughs> the, the, I remember the first patient that we helped, right? Like we got $900 in the bank account and, so how'd you raise the money? So, that's a good question. Um, this is probably one of my favorite stories uh, of how we started or how we first got money in there. Uh, my grandmother, my dad's mom, passed away in July of 2009. I started the foundation in October 2009. And we were sitting around and my family knew what I was trying to do. And my aunt... Um, said, well, why don't we put in, you know, my grandmother's obituary to donate to HCM Foundation? And I'm like, yeah, but it's not even, we don't even have a bank account, right? right. And I reached out to the lawyer that was helping me, and he goes, ah, I wouldn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> but we did it anyway. <laughs> All right. right? And, um, man, we got like $600 in donations in my grandmother's name, Right. And then I got the articles of incorporation, all that stuff. I opened up the bank account for the foundation with donations that were made in my grandmother's honor and memory. And dude, I will That's never so cool, yeah. I will never forget sitting in that chair at the time it was Wachovia Bank, it's Wells Fargo now. Sitting in that chair, the the teller, I remember her name, dude. It was her name was Maggie. <laughs> And I had these checks, and some of them were crumpled up because I had them for, like, months, right. right? And just sitting there thinking, 
like this is my my dad's mom like my grandmother grandmother would love this right because she had such a tough time with losing my dad i'm sure yeah and uh so i always feel she's kind of a part of it um so so that started up getting the bank account and then when I started it, you know, a lot of people just donated because they knew what I was trying to do. Like your friends helping you out. Yeah, they, friends they and like family. Calls, yeah. yeah, donate $20. And and by the way, if you're listening to this, um, you know, I would encourage you to uh, find, like if you have organizations or causes that you're really passionate about, but you're afraid to donate because you don't think, you know, you can donate enough. Ten dollars, right? Can make a right? world of difference. It yeah. like seriously adds up. Um, and one thing that I'll do every time, you know, you get an email of people doing stuff, and I'll donate ten or fifteen dollars. You know, every yeah. time I try to do that too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Even though I don't really have that much money, but yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so we opened up the bank account with that. We got some donations, and then that next year we did a five k run, and that brought in a little bit. And then it just kind of started to snowball. We had a lot of people that would do some races. You know, let's say somebody's going to run the Philly Marathon, and they would raise money for us, and and um, you know, so we get almost money like that sponsored way. athletes type. Things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. And um, to date, we've helped uh, about two hundred and twenty-five families over six years, and that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, man, it's crazy. It's a big reach, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy to think back on that. Um, and plus, like, it's probably not even just the 200 and how many? About 225. So it's not even the 225 that you, like, directly impacted. The network of people that you probably yeah. had, had an impact on by helping them is probably, like, quadruple that. Probably yeah, that's a good or, point. Or more. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. All right, so we talked about the how you started found the foundation so what was the spark that kind of made you say like i want to start you know empowering you know young kids uh to overcome their obstacles and use those to kind of empower them yeah um, <clears throat> that's a good question i feel like i kind of stumbled upon it um dude it's so weird i'm a super introverted person and you know, if anybody knows introvert versus extrovert, it's really how we recharge and how we find our energy. And I like doing things by myself. I, <laughs> or, I'm the same exact way. Yeah. Like, yeah. Or, or like, with like a small group of people. Yeah. Right? I get overwhelmed by like a lot of people. Yeah. I'm not a super outgoing dude. And um, so we would put on these races and, and I would love it, you know, and, and part of what I'm really passionate about is doing these fundraisers and it raises a lot of money. But man, if you can get, you know, 400 people or 500 people to come out and we're all together, it's so much more than raising money, right? I can understand everybody is touched by cancer, right? And I found it to be an opportunity where people could share their story and just be motivated and inspired. Right. And I would, I would like the night before, I would sit down for uh, like an hour or two hours and I would write out something like a three minute talk (laughs) that I could do before Before the the race. race. Right. Right. And it wasn't like, oh, we're gathered here today. Um, No, man. It was like, you know, super heartfelt. 
stuff. And people started coming up to me and saying like, Mike, thanks so much. Like that was so awesome. I'm so happy to be here. And, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm running this for my dad or whatever. And it, like, it, it, I, I was able to really connect with people. And <clears throat> so I knew that even though my super, you know, introverted side, but I had this thing where I, I could really speak and, and connect with people. And then I turned 30 years old. So it was about three years ago. And I go through another, you know, we talked about when my brother made that phone call to me and it changed my life. When I turned 30 years old, and, and I don't know why, like this whole stuff with my dad, you know, I'm sure some people it wouldn't have affected them as much, but for whatever reason it, it did for me. So I just went with it. But my dad was, was 30 when he died. So when and I turned you were 30, right? When I turned 30, it was a really weird experience for me. And I don't want to say I was, I was depressed. Um, but you know, like one month I'd just be thinking a lot of, man, like what was it like for him to know that he's going to die? Right? Like what were those last couple weeks like for him? Right. I would think, is he sad that he's never going to get to know his sons? Is he met my mom in high school, right? Like, is he sad that he's not going to live, like, with his high school sweetheart? And then the next month, it would be, oh, my God, like, I'm so lucky I'm still alive. Right. It's like this roller coaster. Right. Of, yeah. <laughs> and then the next month, it would be something else. And I probably sound, you know, like a crazy person talking about that, but it, it, it really influenced the way that I started to think and I thought you know what I I'm lucky to be able to get up in the morning like be somewhat healthy I don't know how much longer that's gonna be right like we never know we don't know it's true and that's kind of like the why I started this podcast too and like when I got hurt I didn't wake up that morning saying like this is probably the last football game I'm ever gonna play I still thought I had the rest of the season and even like college to play man yeah that's interesting um so you can totally relate so i started thinking to myself what is something that i can do with my life that really has an impact and i started to think you know what the foundation is helping a lot of people but it's not enough it's not enough for me like i know i have more to give i know that there's more that i can do and I had this kind of secret love of speaking to people and knowing that I had that maybe, I don't know if I want to call it talent, but just that raw being able to connect with people. Right. And I started thinking, you know what? I wish that when I was 10 or maybe 15, that somebody would have said to me, Mike, hey man, come here, you know? I know everything I, I know everything that you're going through and everything with your dad, but it doesn't have to be like super doom and gloom. Like there's some things that can come out of it, some good opportunities. And it's a real opportunity to learn more about yourself. And so I thought, man, I can't, I want to go do that. For right, because you don't know who's in the audience and what they're dealing with. Like yeah. you said, like that teacher, 
you know, crushed your, your dreams when you yeah. were nine yeah. and made you feel really bad. But, I mean, I guess in her defense to some degree. Right, right, right. She was very supportive to anyone. But, yeah, yeah. like, she also didn't know, like, your circumstances. So Right, yeah. So that's, you know, where I was. And I was 30. And I was like, man, what what do I really want to do with my life? And, and, and that hit me. Um, and, and, man, every time I go speak at assemblies, this might sound super weird, but I, I, I kind of go back to what I felt like when I was 15 or 16. Well, yeah, yeah. That's how you connect with your audience. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, that's something I'm, I'm super, you know, I, I like doing that. I'm passionate about it. But that's that's how I got into, into speaking with, with teens and, and why I do it. And just to give you an example... Um, because you go out and you do this stuff and you put yourself out there and you don't know, like, is it really reaching people? And yeah, well, you, yeah, you start doubting yourself. It's yeah. normal. I do, that, I do that every single day. I'm like, what the hell am I doing? Yeah, but yeah. You kind of just keep going because it's fun. Yeah, I had, I did an assembly last year at a high school. And it was, I did one at every grade level, but uh, each grade had about 600 students, right? So we're in the auditorium and I did my thing. And the student comes up to me, and she was a sophomore, and she says, she says, Mike, thank you so much for what you said. And I said, ah, yeah, no problem. Great being here, right? Dude, then she drops a bomb, right? <laughs> like, I've, no, I've been there 45 minutes, right? 45 minutes, that's right. it. I didn't have a direct conversation with her. She comes up to me and she says, she says, my, my dad um, committed suicide a few months ago and I've, I've really been struggling with it. And what you said and some of the things that, that you said about your life and it, it's really going to help me. That's awesome to get that kind of feedback. Yeah. And, and to know that you made a difference in the 45 minutes that you were there. Yeah, so you, you do that and you put yourself out there and you get that feedback and you just want more of it, right? Like, oh my God, I really helped her. Right. Um, there was, a few weeks ago, I did another one at a high school and there was a girl, um, a junior, that came up to me and she was kind of teary-eyed, right? And she says, um, she says that, you know, thanks so much, Mike, for, for coming out. She goes, I, I uh, was just diagnosed with a mental disorder and I lost my job. And I said, and I'm thinking, your job? Like, you're in yeah, high school, yeah, right? What kind of job are you? <laughs> and I said, what was your job? And she goes, it was a summer camp counselor, right, for kids. Right. And, man, like, so all this stuff's going through my head. I'm thinking, like, oh, my God, she probably loves working with kids. Now she's diagnosed with this mental disorder. I don't know what it is. And they tell her that she can't work. Meanwhile, she's a junior in high school. If she wants to go to college, she's got to right, keep so her grades important up. Part, yeah, right. She's important probably getting pressure from somewhere. And she goes, I, I want to let you know that like what you said makes me feel less embarrassed and ashamed of who I am. That's awesome. I mean, it wasn't even like a death related at all. So right. you, and your reach was even further than what you... Yeah. So it's... When you say, like, what got me into speaking, and I think what keeps me there are those experiences and knowing that um, I'm reaching people in a way that they haven't quite been, been reached yet. And, and 
yeah, that's super important to me. Awesome. A lot of the the listeners of this podcast, they're all people who play sports or maybe they're uh, injured while playing sports and they're kind of having a hard transition to life after sports. Can you can you talk on your, your thoughts about finding an identity after sports or finding an identity after you you know experience a really tough obstacle in your life? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I think I think there's a few different answers to this, and I think it's important to find your identity while you're playing sports, right? Um, what do you mean by that? So, I I think that there, you know, there's balance in our life. Um, how can I put this? There have been times in my life where I thought that I have to focus on this one thing and nothing else really matters. Or, right. and I know like playing sports, it's a super important thing, man. You're putting so much energy into it and. You know, for some reason, I'm focusing on teenagers, so I want to say, like, oh, they're in school. But, you know, it could be anybody. Um, but that doesn't define you, right? And a lot of times when I do these assemblies, I, I talk to students about finding friends and mentors and finding people that really want to be around you for who you are, right? not what you are. And, you know, what you are can be things like you're a football player or you're popular, you know, or your family's rich and that's right. why people want to be around you. Uh-huh. But who you are is more about your values and your character and your integrity. And I think being able to think ahead, um, you know, prior to your injury or um, while you're playing sports, right, for maybe the people that are listening to this that haven't hit that life after sports yet thinking about who you really are now and and where you're going to go after like sports aside right because when i was in high school and before i hit you know had my injury and knew i was never going to play again that's exactly who i identified myself as as the kid who played football like i didn't know anything else like right so when i didn't have it anymore i was like well what the hell do i freaking do now because you know, that's all I was. And I was really insecure when I got to college because I was no longer an athlete. I was just a, like a normal student walking around campus. And I like at my girlfriend at the time, she went to a different school and she played sports there. And she hung out with all athletes. So I was like really insecure with myself that I'm not an athlete anymore. So like mm-hmm. she doesn't think as much of me. And she's like, I was very, yeah. I was in a really bad place. Dude, yeah. So, so I, I'm trying to th- like put myself in my shoes then and say like, what would I, what would I think of myself as if I took football and baseball away? Like, what would I be? Yeah, yeah. So think about maybe some of the character traits. That, right. That, character traits. Okay. That that you gained through those sports. Right. Like, you strike me as somebody who was probably a leader, right? Like. People looked up to, you know, maybe people confided in you. Like, you're just a super genuine, authentic person. And, you know, people, maybe people didn't like you because you were Kevin, the kick-ass football player. People may have liked you because of how you made them feel, right? Or the opportunities that you gave them. Um, 
And I think being able to focus on those character traits when football's taken away, right? How can I use those character traits and focus it on another activity? Exactly, like yeah, like, on schoolwork or a, a new goal that you have in mind. And I think yeah. ultimately that is like what I did, but that transition was like super oh, tough. Yeah. yeah, it's it's yeah, and that's you know that whole thing um, with I forget what you said. You were saying feeling insecure. Um, yeah, I read a lot and, and uh, about confidence and things like that. And the two things that kind of get in our way um, is seeking acceptance and comparing ourselves to other people. So when you were in that situation, you were kind of seeking acceptance from your girlfriend of, right. like, do you still like me because I'm not playing football? Right. And who knows if she did, right. you know? Um, but you were seeking... Like, you were trying to get your confidence in yourself from other people from someone else right when if you you know if you could have tried to look which you ended up doing because you came came out okay but if you kind of looked inside yourself and maybe thought about man like what what am i good at like what were those experiences i had when i was a football player Mm -hmm. and dude there are probably people out there that you know maybe did like you because you played football and, and all that stuff but there are also probably the ones that aren't around anymore right yeah. yeah i have like yeah you got the few good friends that you still talk to and those yeah. are the ones that yeah liked you just because yeah not just because you were a football player or whatever right right and yeah so i think it's important to kind of identify what your character traits are and being able to, you know, when something's taken away from you, being able to really use those traits and, and focus it on something else. Um, you know, and honestly, and maybe I'm biased because I started the foundation, but I think a lot of people find that next thing when it has to do with giving back. Right. Whether it's not in a charitable sense mm-hmm. but giving back maybe being a coach or um, <clears throat> something along those lines there's a really good story about this guy called they call him the 9-11 surfer right he survived 9-11 and he was in one of the towers and when it fell he got caught in a pocket of air and in such a way that like he survived he didn't get crushed right um, but when he came out of it, his, everything was crushed for him, right? Because all his coworkers and his friends, a lot of their wives were pregnant, right? And they were having kids and, and now they passed away and he went through a really tough time. And what got him out of that, he started a scholarship fund foundation that he could help provide for, um, for his friend's kids. Right. So give him back. Is yeah, and and that kind of helped him get through that tough time, right. and so it's kind of a similar, yeah, similar thing. Hey, cool. Um, along these same lines, I know when I was going through my transition, I went from being like this <clears throat> very straight edge guy, like all I want to do is just play football, get good grades, and you know get a scholarship to play wherever. But once I couldn't play anymore, I almost had this like effort attitude, like well. I didn't get what I wanted, so now, like, who cares? So 
how do you I didn't end up like really going off the deep end. <laughs> yeah, off the deep end. <laughs> yeah. I kind of reeled myself back in again, but how do you stay on like the the path less traveled when you know you, your expectations and your goals like can't be met anymore? Yeah. And to like to kind of stay within yourself and don't kind of yeah, and don't go off the deep end. Yeah, man, that's a good question because <laughs> That is tough. I mean, there have been times in my life when I, I feel like I've went off the deep end too, in a way. And I almost feel like that's one of the greatest things about life is that like having those experiences and because it really gets you to think about, um, yeah, at the end of it really gets you to think about who you are and, and who you want to be. Um, but my advice would be to find someone that really knows you and knows who you are and knows what you're going through and being able to have a good relationship with them so they can help you. Right. Um, not just help you be like, Oh dude, you studying tonight. Um, but helping you (laughs) help, (laughs) helping you, you know, Kevin, um, who do you really want to be? Right. And when I think back on this this time where, like, you have the peer pressure of, like, going out, drinking, smoking, like, doing all the stuff that, like, never in a million years would I ever do when I was in that straight-edge mentality. Yeah, because you were so focused. Right. Yeah. And the weird part is everyone who knows me knows this, that I'm a huge Tim Tebow fan. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, this was right around the time when he was, like... I think he was still in college when I got hurt, but he was, like, winning Heisman trophies, and he... uh and then when he was on the the Broncos and stuff, but like looking at him, and he was kind of that like same like straight edge, very focused, like driven person. And I've always like looked up to him even before I got hurt. And I remember like I would watch his uh, documentary. It's like the year of the quarterback or something. Yeah, yeah. Every time I would get in this little like mood or like lost my motivation, I would just watch that that documentary. Huh. And for some reason, it was almost like I was surrounding myself with someone who was like-minded like that and that's interesting that, man yeah yeah when i think back on it that was like my person that yeah. i like yeah even though i didn't know him but dude that's uh, yeah i'll tell you what a lot of the stuff that i've learned is kind of watching documentaries about people and how they uh how they overcome you know how they overcome things um and maybe i'm getting off on a tangent here but i i watched uh one of those 30 for 30s about Randy Moss. And, dude, Randy Moss? Oh, I saw that one too, yeah. He screwed up so many times. Yeah. Like, that dude, how he got to where he is, blows my mind. And, number one, it makes me think, like, it doesn't matter how hard you fall or the crazy things that you do and you mess up, like you're always going to be able to get back and somebody's going to be willing to take you back. Right. Um, but there had to be a moment in his life where he's like, I got to stop smoking and getting in trouble. And, um, yeah, it's just, yeah, food, food for thought, but I don't know where I was going with that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay. So also along these lines too, like when you are in that transition to, whatever you're doing like the obstacles in your way and you're trying to to overcome it your chances are you're going to deal with a lot of failure along the way 
Um, so do you, what advice do you give the, the, the kids in your assemblies when, uh, about, you know, dealing with failure? Yeah. Um, you know, 10, well, five or 10 years ago, I would have had a tough time answering this question, but you know, where I am now, I think failure is just a part of, part of any process, but more specifically, if you, you know, one, one of the tactics or or things that I use or, or help people with, uh, let's say, you know, like, would you be worried about, you know, you have a football game and, um, you know, you're worried about scholarships, but then you're also worried about maybe not getting enough tackles or catching passes or whatever. Um, whatever your situation is, um, you know, one a really good thing that you can do is understand and recognize that things can go one of two ways. They're either going to go really, really well or they're going to go really, really badly, badly. And I think when you're going into any situation that you may hit a roadblock or some type of failure is recognizing it and really playing it out in your head and thinking, you know, if I'm going to go into this game, how am I going to feel if it goes really well, right? Like, what are the experiences that I'm going to have and who am I going to see afterwards? And So really visualize. Visualize. And what's going to happen, you know, like I'm going to get a scholarship to play at a you know college um so visualize the uh, if it's an injury that you're getting over the comeback yeah so you have yeah, like yeah vivid images in your head that's of that's good what yeah. you want to see in your future right? i like that and then the other thing is visualize if it goes very badly what's going to happen how are you going to feel who are the people in your life that are going to put you down because you did fail? Who are the people in your life that are going to stand up for you and have your back? And really get into it. Like, how are you going to feel? So don't ignore the failure. Don't ignore it. But here's the thing. When you figure that out and how you're going to feel and what you're going to do, be prepared for that. And try to think through that when that happens what would I have learned through that? Right. And then you're prepared to get through the failure, figure out what you've learned from it so that you can apply it to the next goal or whatever. So failure, it's, you know, there's so many books and things out there about this concept and failure. Um, it, you know, you just have to keep going and figure out what you've learned from it. I, you know, I was on Facebook the other day and I saw this picture thing, and it said, uh, what did it say? Um, well, I guess giving up isn't the same thing as failure, but uh, you know, giving up is like getting a flat tire and slashing the other three. Oh, just because, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, dude, that, I like that analogy. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. so yeah. awesome. And so I think when you hit failure... That might be the title of this... Uh... Yeah, this podcast. I love that. When when you hit failure, it's not the end all be all. It's it's just like the obstacles in our life. It's an opportunity to really grow and learn about yourself. But you have to be prepared for it, dude. I gave a talk one time, and this girl comes up to me, and it was an older group. It was like college kids, and she says, "Mike, 
I, you seem like a really good guy and like somebody I could take advice from. And I said, what's up? She goes, well, I went to the doctor the other day and uh, they, they found a lump, you know, in my, in my breast. And I have my follow-up appointment right after this. And I'm like, oh my God, yeah. you actually came here for that? <laughs> like, yeah. whoa, that's crazy. And I said, so you mean you're going there right after this? She's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to drive there. And she started getting really emotional. And she asked me, she says, I, I, I don't, like, what do I do? I, I don't know what to do. And uh, she's like, I, you're here and, and just your story, like, what, what do I do? And I told her the exact same thing. I said, you know, you're going to be driving to this appointment and you don't know if it's going to be cancer. You don't know if it's going to be not cancer, but you have to prepare for both. Right. And like when you drive there, I want you to think like, what are you going to feel like? And what's it going to feel like if it's not cancer, right? You're going to be happy, but then you might even get in your car and just break down and cry because you're so happy. What's that going to feel like? And But if it is cancer, what are the things, you know, like be prepared for that. And and also identify someone in your life that you can call right. and, you know, kind of have that conversation. So I think any big moment in our life, it's that's a really good tactic to use. I think uh, that's really interesting because I feel like people ignore the, the failure part. They're like, it, just like, don't think about it. Only think about, you know, succeeding. Yeah. But that's not how life works, you know? Like, it yeah. really isn't. And when I think back to when I got hurt, like, I only had one mindset, and that was to win the football game, get a scholarship, go to college, and play football. Like, yeah. I didn't think about, well, what if that doesn't happen, Kevin, you know? Mm. Yeah. And I think that's what made it that much harder afterwards. I think this kind of connects with that life after sports. Right. And, and, that's a good point that you brought up because I feel like when I was racing and doing triathlons, I had the same mindset. Um, but going back to life after sports or finding an identity after sports, that is an important, you know, thinking about, yeah. And it's not like a, like a, like, Oh man, what's my life going to be like like if I fail? Yeah. (laughs) It's not like a lack of confidence. It's more of like just being prepared for being being prepared. And then also like always asking yourself the question, um, what, you know, what are you going to learn? Man, dude, I have, uh, a mentor in my life. His name is Paul and he really helped me with the foundation. And he would ask me all the time, you know, he's like 10, eight or 10 years older than me and super awesome guy. But I would, and we would talk on the phone like every day back back then. And whether I did something really well or something didn't go well, dude, he would always ask me, like at the end of every phone call, what did you learn? Right? And uh, maybe, yeah, that's, that's something that, uh, you know, when we hit failure, that's the question that we have to ask ourselves. Cool. I like, I, I love that. Let's talk about how you got into being a triathlete, your four-time Ironman finisher, that's like a tremendous feat in my mind. <laughs> I, I work with uh, some physical therapists, and one of them just did an Ironman last year. Oh, nice. And it was, I could tell, like, the amount of training that went into it. It was really intense, so I kind of want to see yeah. what got you into that. Yeah, sure. Um, so I, in high school, you know, I, I played, like, pickup basketball, 
right? Um, that was about the extent of that. I didn't play any sports in, in high school. Uh, I hated running, right? Like in soccer, I was always the slow, <laughs> the slow kid. And I went to college and I don't know what it was, man. Like I, I went to school, I went to Slippery Rock University, which is like towards Western PA, Lake Erie area and um, nice little state school. And before I went there, people had some people say, oh man, like you're, you're gonna gain weight and you're just gonna the old eat. freshman 15 yeah, yeah. or whatever, yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, no, I'm not, right? And like that was some motivation like in the back of my mind. Yeah. Um, I wasn't a big party dude in college. Neither was I, yeah. And I think maybe a little bit of that was my introvert, but I had a lot of respect for my mom and I knew how hard my mom worked for us and I didn't want to mess that up, right? And, and I wanted to respect that. So, I mean, you go to college and you see students that go off the deep end and they're on academic probation and no, man, I I wanted to make myself proud, but uh, but I was I was really worried about not screwing it up because of my mom. Anyway, so I'm in my freshman year and I'm thinking, man, I got so much time on my hands. Like you study, you eat, and then like, then like what? what else do you do? <laughs> yeah. So we had this really nice rec center. I started going down to the rec center and I started running on the treadmill. And so as a freshman, right? And I couldn't even, I couldn't run for five minutes, you know, and every week I'd add a minute or two minutes and, um, you know, after a while, I was running like eight or ten miles on the treadmill. Wow, yeah. And the feeling of going down and getting better, or getting faster, or being able to go longer, um, like I, I really liked that. And I would, I would do it every night. And but I would only run on the treadmill. Like I wouldn't run outside. Right? Why was that? <laughs> I don't know. Reason I don't know because I never did it. And I'm a very how do I want to say it? Uh, routine. I'm I'm a creature okay. of habit, dude. Yeah. Like, uh, if I could wake up and do the same things every day, uh, I'm a super creature of habit. So I think that habit of, um, you know, going down to the rec center and doing that and all that stuff, I, I like that. Um, and then I did a 10K race like a year after that in Pittsburgh somewhere. Um, one of my good friends growing up, Timmy Reinhardt, he uh, was a really good cyclist, bike racer. And his, um, every year we would go down to the Philly bike race to watch it. And I said to him, I said, dude, I think I want to start riding, riding a bike, you know? And, um, Timmy, not to get into this story, but, uh, Tim's sister, Nicole, um, she was a professional cyclist for, for team Saturn. Um, and when we were seniors fall of our senior year, uh, she was killed in a, in a bike race. Oh, wow. Yeah. And <clears throat> so Timmy actually gave me one of her bikes to borrow so that I could start riding. And so I started riding, and I was running, and then I had to figure out how to swim. And um, That's always the hard part. I'm in that same boat. Yeah. <laughs> the whole swimming thing kind of was intimidates me. Yeah. there was. Uh, I had a friend in college. His name was Dave Oxter. And... Um, he says he's like Mike. Why you know my dad does these things called triathlons. Why don't you, why don't you do that? And so then I started figuring out how to swim, and yeah, man, I just I started racing, and that was back in 
I guess 2003. And I, I, I loved, I, I just loved training and I loved getting better and coming up with a plan and executing it. Um, and completely put myself out there. I think a part of me liked that because I was still dealing with my dad and training was kind of a place where I didn't have to think about anything, right? Nobody bothered me and mm-hmm. it was just like my time, my place. It was on my terms. We're very similar when it comes to that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And dude, I loved that. And, and just the feeling, you know, when I started racing, I didn't care how I did, right? I just wanted to push myself. Uh, I loved the training more than I loved. Dude, one of the best summers of my life was when I came, you know, back home from school and my friend Tim who gave me the bike like he was home and we'd ride our bikes every day man that was like one of the best times of my life just hanging out with him on the bike right um I love that I I love that and so that I liked that stuff more than I liked racing but then I started getting better and um yeah I started putting in a lot of time and I ended up not that it was like a huge deal um in 2008 I was ninth overall at duathlon nationals. Oh wow, impressive! Yeah. Um, and so that was like a huge. Uh, at the time, I was kind of bummed because I wanted to do better. Oh, but, <laughs> but, looking but looking back on that, it was like, oh my god, man, I came so far, right? From not even running to kind of racing against guys that ran in college and and really good athletes, um, but I I didn't really care. Like, I still had so much focus on, on the training and, and not the racing. Um, but, yeah, in there, I, I got into Ironman, and I don't know, man. Sometimes I think I do things without thinking about them, and doing an Ironman was just one just of those like things. Just, like, saying yes, or... Yeah. And the, the crazy thing about Ironman is it, it sounds so awesome and hard, which it is. Do you have the tattoo? No. No? no Doesn't no. everyone do that? No. I... Because I, I don't know. I guess I don't... Like, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not that kind of guy, All I guess. Right. <laughs> but um, the, uh, what was I going to say? Um, I don't remember. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, it's all right. The, um, oh, you know, it, Iron Man, it's the hardest part of that is the preparation and the training, getting up every day. And the race is hard, too, because pacing and nutrition um, but the hardest part of the whole Ironman thing is the six months leading into it um, and how to structure it on, on your life. And if you can nail that, like it's not it's not that bad. Um, but I enjoyed that part of it. So yeah, I did Ironman Florida a few times. Uh, I went over to Brazil. I did Ironman Brazil. And um, I never really put together a great race. Uh, one year in Florida, I was fourth in my age group, which I was happy yeah, about. Yeah, it's really good, yeah. Um, so, yeah, but I, I learned a lot through the whole thing. And then when I started the foundation, that was I was still racing, and it was in 2009. And I was at a point, and I don't know, maybe you felt like this in, in your football career, Um I was just at a point where I thought, man, I'm working really hard, right? And I was just doing this as, as an amateur, like a hobby. But I'm working so hard, and I feel like, you know, I got top 10 at that Nationals race, which I look back on that, and I'm like, wow. But at the time, it just didn't feel 
good enough. Like, I was working so hard. Right, you wanted... Yeah. yeah. That's just, like, an athlete in general, though. Yeah, I guess. No matter what, you're not happy. Yeah. <laughs> or you're, and, yeah, you're happy for one minute, and then once you achieve the goal, you're like, oh, on to the next yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so when I had the ideas for the foundation, I was like, man, I can... All that time I'm putting in the training, I can use to build this foundation and help other people. And I, I really fell off, um, you know, I, I kind of stopped racing and training as much and put all my, my focus into the foundation, um, which I really regret. Uh, but at the time, I, I you know, I, I didn't realize it. I, I, I thought that I had, it was, uh, I was a very white and black kind of guy that if I'm going to do something, I'm going to put all my energy into that. Yeah. Or nothing kind of thing. And I don't know if it was the finding an identity after sports, but I've come to realize that everything we do makes us who we are. Right. I can be Mike, a triathlete. I can be Mike, the foundation guy. I can be Mike, the speaker. And one thing doesn't hurt another right? Everything that you do creates who you are. Everything that you do helps everything else that you do. And so now I'm finally at a point in my life where I'm racing again and I have the foundation and I'm have my speaking business. And, and I look at it as a way of everything is working together. Everything is helping everything else. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so I, yeah, I wish I, I wish I would have realized that a lot earlier in my life. That's awesome though, and I think that's perfect for people who are trying to find a new outlet after their sport too. Like you said, you started off in the rec center at your school, just going on for an extra minute a week, and right. it, it, it all builds on top of each other. So I think you know triathlons could be a great outlet for someone you know looking to find yeah a, a new sport to try. Oh yeah yeah. Um, I uh, I I always ask all. I'm trying to start asking all the uh, people that I interview, uh, what's their definition of perseverance to kind of cl close out the interview? Yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, if you would have asked me that 10 years ago, I would have said my definition of perseverance is just straight up hard ass work. Um, but now, uh, I would say it's a combination of a, of a lot of different things. Um, patience, having a lot of patience, and, and being able to dealing with uh, dealing with the time it takes to get to wherever you want to go. Like, right. what's that thing that you're trying to to get through um, despite difficulty or delay? Uh, and I think that's kind of the definition of perseverance um but i i yeah I, I also think having a purpose and a and a commitment um and 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 being patient with it so actually now i'm kind of getting thrown off here because i think <laughs> my definition yeah i guess it's kind of a couple different a couple different steps so so far it's a mix of hard work patience and a purpose. And a purpose. Uh, so I'm going to start this over. With perseverance, um, I, perseverance, 
like getting through a difficult obstacle and getting to the other side, the way that my mind works when I'm trying to define that is what advice can I give to people to help them persevere? Right. So that's where I'm coming from with this. So I think, I think patience. I think that's exactly what I'm looking for. In this yeah, 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 so yeah. <laughs> Dude, I think patience and persistence is everything. Persistence. I like that too. Patience and persistence. Um, because I think a lot of times we get, when we hit a roadblock or an obstacle or you know, a delay in, in success, that's so hard to remain patient because we want it. Right. And we see other people who have it. And we're like, why don't I have it? Right. But we don't know their story. And man, patience is everything. And I don't mean like sitting back and waiting. Like, I mean doing things and executing and having a plan and being patient, carrying it out, being right. persistent with it. Um, but I also think having a purpose. And being truly, genuinely connected and committed to whatever you're doing. Um, and I know, like, in my mind, I think perseverance about having a goal and going after it. But it could mean, you know, a head injury and you're trying to right. get through that. Well, I know a, a lot of people that I've come across with, like, concussion stuff. Like, I had second impact syndrome. I almost died. But most people, like, that's not the case. Usually they have like post-concussion syndrome where they have all these symptoms that last, you know, months and years at a time. Mm -hmm. And that's the people who really struggle. I, I feel fortunate that I don't have to deal with any of that. I had like the really severe initial injury, but the stuff after that I really never experienced. And I know it's really tough for those people who have that post-concussion syndrome because it is something that you can't see. Right. It's not like you have a broken arm and a cast that you know like once the cast is off like you're good. So these people are constantly playing these like mind games with themselves of like, is this ever going to go away? And then it kind of just like yeah, yeah, accumulates. Yeah. So the, the patience thing too, you know, it's, I think that's a good thing to keep in mind with those. Like it's, it might not be an overnight thing. Yeah. And, you know, and the person and the, having a purpose, you know, you, you maybe having something to almost distract you from these thoughts that are coming in your head, yeah, I think that could be beneficial too. Yeah, and you know, like I think about you um, and what you were dealing with, and just to throw this out there, but you know, maybe your purpose is something like, um, you know, man, when I get through this, like I want to help other other people that are going through it, which is what you're doing, right? Right. Um, but kind of being focused on that and having that purpose and that commitment to achieve that is going to help you, you know, help you get through it. The other, the other thing that I think about when I think about perseverance is connections and who's in our network, right. who we can fall back on. Um, when I think about perseverance, I think, man, I am trying to do something. I'm trying to get over something, and I'm in like the worst spot in my life, right? And I don't know how to do it. Being able to call someone or have a conversation with someone that knows you. And I know we mentioned this before. But dude, that goes a long way. Um, our connections in our life, like those three to five people that we can constantly rely on, um, become so important when we're trying to, to get through. Right. Get yeah, through. I agree. Um, and then, yeah, man, just like a tenacious, crazy work ethic of, of just doing it, you right. know? Staying focused. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, that was awesome, Mike. I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down for the interview. And I wish I had you to talk to when I was going through my issues oh, back thanks, when I was man. 17. So I think this is going to be perfect for the audience. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Uh, just to close out, uh, could you kind of plug your social media and your yeah, website? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's it. Yeah. So um, you can find me on Twitter at Mike Marsteller. I just joined Instagram. And my username Love is... Love the gram. Yeah. It's so good. My username is Mike.Marsteller. Oh, someone already took the Mike Marsteller? Yeah. Oh. Um, my last name is M-A-R-S-T-E-L-L-E-R. It'll all be in the show notes. I'll, I'll have it linked up there for you, too. Yeah. My, my speaker website is MikeMarsteller.com, uh, where I have all my speaker videos, assembly programs, um, things like that. And then our foundation website is HCM foundation.org all right thanks mike appreciate it yeah thanks kevin if you enjoyed this episode please share it with a friend who might benefit from mike's advice and also uh, leave us some some feedback on itunes or on our blog at which is uh, headsandtails.org uh, this way i could continually improve the podcast each week and bring you better and better content and remember giving up is like Getting a flat tire and slashing the other three. See you next week. <laughs>